Welcome to the RecessX Podcast. This week, we have Dr. Michael Winters from the University of Maryland, who is an emergency medicine physician with a strong emphasis on resuscitation and critical care. You may have heard him speak at many of the national conferences. You may have read one of his many books. This guy is one of the master resuscitationists. And today, he's going to talk to us about anaphylaxis. And I'm not going to spoil this lecture for you, but is in the context of a very special story to Dr. Winters. This lecture is from the Resusx Revolve Conference. Just a few months ago, we are gonna hope to have Mike back again live with us this year in Philadelphia, this fall, when we go back to our live conference. There's more details on that coming soon. We are putting together the prelim schedule now, and let me tell you something. This conference is one of the finest conferences that we've ever put together but more on that soon. For now, let's turn over to Mike Winters talking about anaphylaxis. Thanks again, Haiti, and I am so excited to be back talking about another topic that I am exceedingly passionate about, and that is anaphylaxis. And that's because many years ago, on July 4th weekend, a father and his son decided to go to their neighborhood pool. They were having a great day, relaxing, having a great holiday weekend. They got out of the pool. They decided to share an oatmeal raisin walnut cliff bar. And the father said, after maybe two or three minutes, he heard his son cough a little. He said, oh, what's going on? Son said, I don't know, dad, my, my tongue kind of itches. Here, have some water, drink it down. Dad said he seemed okay. But then a few minutes later, he started clearing his throat, started coughing again. And the son said, dad, my, my throat kind of itches now. And I was like, doesn't sound right, but let's go ahead and go home. We've had a lot of fun. We've been out in the sun all day. Let's head home. And they were walking home to their house when the son said, I don't feel so good, dad. As they're walking, he leaned over on the sidewalk and just threw up everywhere. And dad noticed he didn't necessarily seem sunburned, but started to have these red blotches over. So he more briskly walked home, walked into the house. Mom saw this and said, what's going on? He doesn't look right. And after a few minutes where he developed progressive urticaria redness, dad got nervous and ran up to the urgent care in town, whereby the son presented with these vital signs. So you can see blood pressure, 60s over 30s, tacking away at the 140s, to Kipnik in the upper, mid to upper 20s, satting okay on room air and overall afebrile. And as the clinician evaluated the patient, they noted some periorbital edema starting to set in just this diffuse erythroderma and a little bit of mild faint and expiratory wheezing. And as the dad's there and they're examining the child, the practitioner notes that kid starts having some mental status decline and starts becoming a little bit more lethargic. So I ask you, are you nervous? Is this recess case perfect for recess X here? And I can tell you it's nerve wracking, but I was in incredibly nervous because it turns out to be my son. So this is my case of when my son Hayden developed anaphylaxis quite quickly after eating an oatmeal raisin cliff bar. So it's with that, it's with his case that I've truly become passionate about talking about anaphylaxis and really how to resuscitate patients, how to recognize and subsequently treat patients when they present to us in the emergency department with anaphylaxis. What is it? It actually is hard to define. And over the past two decades, there have been varying definitions. And in the latest guideline update published 
in 2020. This seems to make sense that anaphylaxis is an acute, life-threatening systemic allergic reaction that has a wide range of clinical manifestations. I think we can all get on board with that definition. And while we don't know the true incidence, unfortunately, about 1,500 patients each year lose their lives to anaphylaxis. And an important component of that is when patients present to us in the emergency department and they truly do have anaphylaxis. Some of the literature over the years would say about half the time we delay or sometimes miss that diagnosis. Now, this is an exceedingly advanced audience in terms of resuscitation. So we're not going to belabor the clinical features. I'm really only going to point out that in about 45 to 50% of cases, there is circulatory involvement and manifestations. And about 45% of the time, there are GI manifestations that are often overlooked, but truly a component of anaphylaxis. And so two clinical pearls or just a few clinical pearls here with respect to the clinical features. When you have a sick patient coming in and they look critically ill, still keep anaphylaxis on the differential. And that's because anywhere from about 10 to 20% of patients with confirmed anaphylaxis will initially present and not have those common cutaneous manifestations of, say, urticaria or angioedema. When they do present with GI symptoms, that tends to portend, portray a more severe reaction. And then, as you're well aware, hypotension tends to be a very late finding in anaphylaxis. So if they're already hypotensive, they are critically ill and near death. Now, in terms of actually making the diagnosis, there's three case definitions that were developed way back in the early 2000s that have been perpetuated and subsequently studied and listed really even up to the latest guidelines here in 2020-2021. And anaphylaxis is really defined if someone has the sudden onset of symptoms and they've got skin findings, so this is usually urticaria or angioedema, and either respiratory or cardiovascular symptoms associated with that is anaphylaxis. Now, if someone comes in and they've been exposed to a potential antigen or allergen, and the three most common etiologies are food, medications, and insect stings, if they've had at least an possible antigen exposure, and they have two organ systems that are involved, could be respiratory and cardiovascular, could be cutaneous and GI. All they need is two organ systems to be involved after a potential exposure, and that is anaphylaxis. And for those that are known to have an allergen and they've been exposed to that allergen or antigen, if they come in and they are hypotensive, then that is anaphylaxis and we should treat them as such. And I mentioned that these have been studied. Now, this is a study from a decade ago, but relatively high sensitivity of about 97%. A study from a few years later, or a few years ago, still demonstrates that these three case definitions in identifying and recognizing anaphylaxis have that sensitivity of around 95 to 97%. Now, in these lectures, these quick hit lectures, spending time on pathophysiology is not something we usually do, but I want to point it out here because I feel it's important and it's something that we really haven't been taught the full story. When anaphylaxis begins, no surprise that there is this extrusion or expulsion of 
chemical mediators from mast cell basophils into the systemic circulation. And over the course of seconds to minutes, it's those chemokines that really induce the clinical symptoms. And they produce, as we are well aware, pathologic vasodilatation along with increases in vascular permeability. And this is how we commonly teach anaphylaxis as a distributive form of shock. Having said that, that's only about 33% of the story. In fact, in anaphylaxis, it has been studied that patients can extrude about 30 to 50% of their effective circulatory volume into the interstitial tissues within a few minutes of onset. So not only is anaphylaxis distributed, it also has hypovolemic forms of shock and in a large percentage of patients, there is a cardiogenic component to anaphylactic shock. And that is because there is a concentration of mast cells, basophils around the coronary arteries with this release of chemical mediators that can cause coronary vasospasm and also decrease cardiac function. So when we talk about anaphylaxis being the quintessential form of shock, it truly has components of distributive, hypovolemic, and cardiogenic component that plays into how we resuscitate these patients. And so in that resuscitation, treating your patient with anaphylaxis, treating my son with anaphylaxis, there are three critical goals. Give them O2, give them IV fluids, and then give them epinephrine. Now in terms of airway, thinking about airway oxygenation, ventilation, providing patients with anaphylaxis with supplemental O2, and having an overall lower threshold for performing endotracheal intubation. If you need to intubate, and often it's not common, but if you need to intubate patients with anaphylaxis, be sure to have your plan B and plan C because there's that airway edema. Assume that this is going to be a difficult intubation. If you're not intubating them and just providing them supplemental oxygen, put them in a supine position. That is from several anesthesia studies that have demonstrated patients that have developed anaphylaxis in the OR, for whatever reason, they sat them up and a large percentage of them went right into cardiac arrest. And I suspect that is due to that profound vasodilatation and relative hypovolemia. So put them on O2, lay them flat, and give them a whole lot of IV fluids because once again, up to 50% of their effective circulatory volume can be extruded into the interstitial tissues. Now, if you take away one pearl from this 12 or 13 minute discussion, know that there are no absolute contraindications to the administration of epinephrine in the setting of anaphylaxis, even if the, it's an older patient or at the extremes of age, and even in older patients with existing coronary artery disease. And when patients die, from anaphylaxis, it's usually due to our delay in giving it, and we give it via the wrong route and the wrong dose. So just by recollection, we're giving one to 1,000 of epinephrine, and for adults, the latest guidelines published in resuscitation from last year have that dose at 0.5 milligrams. For kids, it's 0.01 milligrams per kilogram, and recall we're giving it intramuscularly into the anterior lateral thigh. And that's based on two prior studies, importantly, in healthy volunteers that demonstrated giving it, 
giving IM into the anterior lateral thigh results in higher and faster peak plasma concentrations of epi than when given sub-Q in the deltoid. And the latest recommendations are to not administer epinephrine via the subcutaneous route. Now, in about one out of 10 of these patients, they will not respond to one or two doses of IM epinephrine. And it's at this point that we're then moving on to the administration of epinephrine via an IV. And this is where things have the potential to go horribly wrong. And when they do, it is usually with IV epinephrine because we are giving it an intermittent and via a bolus dose mechanism or route of delivery. And in the literature, roughly one in 10 of these bolus doses of epinephrine result in an overdose and about one in 10 ultimately have adverse cardiovascular events as a result of this intermittent bolus dosing of IV epi. So really the guidelines have moved to say and recommend that it is a safer method of administering epinephrine and anaphylaxis via a continuous infusion. Now here on the slides, I've given you that common formula of a dirty epi drip. If you've got ED pharmacists having them prep an IV infusion of epinephrine and then really administering it at approximately two micrograms per minute and titrating up to roughly 10 micrograms per minute or to clinical effect. Now, in terms of second line medications, they are just that second line medications and should never be given ahead of or in lieu of epinephrine when you have confirmed anaphylaxis. With respect to antihistamines, the latest guidelines and publications would even say that they are not recommended in the acute management. Recall that antihistamines will help with the cutaneous manifestations of anaphylaxis, but they will not reverse cardiovascular manifestations. And along a similar vein, with respect to corticosteroids, we extrapolate the benefit of corticosteroids from the asthma literature. In fact, in anaphylaxis, there isn't any literature to demonstrate that it resolves symptoms any sooner, or more importantly, does it, it does not prevent biphasic reactions. Now, what do we do with folks? You have guidelines to say if someone comes in, it's mild, they get a dose of epinephrine, they don't have comorbidities or high-risk features of fatal anaphylaxis, and they do well, you do not have to keep them for the requisite six hours. In fact, the latest guidelines, and I've given you the reference here, would suggest that perhaps even just after one to two hours of observation, they look good, they can go home. When you want to hold on to patients are when they have a more severe or extremist presentation. You've given them multiple doses of epinephrine or they have risk factors for fatal anaphylaxis. And probably the one biggest risk factor to remember above all is asthma. Asthmatic or past medical history of asthma is an incredibly high risk feature for fatal anaphylaxis. I would hold on to those patients a little bit longer, but ultimately base your period of either observation or admission on how severe the clinical presentation was, how they responded to therapy. Are they at the extremes of age? Do they have complex comorbidities? Or do they go or are you discharging them to a situation or an environment where they are alone, lack the access or the ability to activate EMS should they have a biphasic reaction? And finally, if you're going to send them home, at best, send them home with an auto-injector device or have them have that script and they're going right 
to the pharmacy to get that auto injector device in the event that they're one of those smaller percentage of patients that has a biphasic reaction and they need to administer a subsequent dose. So Haney, in terms of masterclass, in terms of anaphylaxis, the key things, recall that up to 10 to 20% will initially present without the cutaneous manifestations we're used to seeing. Keep anaphylaxis on the differential of sick patients and really hypotension is a late clinical finding. When you've made the diagnosis, give them O2, lie them flat, give them a whole bunch of fluids, and give them epinephrine. The first dose is IM into the anterior lateral thigh at 0.3 to 0.5 milligrams. If they do not respond to two doses, move on to an IV infusion and avoid intermittent bolus dosing. And second line medications are just that. Second line and should never be given ahead of or in lieu of epinephrine and your base your decision on observation on how they presented, how they responded, what treatments you gave them, and what are their comorbidities. Once again, fatal anaphylaxis, a big risk factor for that is the asthmatic. And with that, I'm going to turn things back over to you. I hope I've given you a few important pearls in resuscitating the patient with anaphylaxis. My thanks.